This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Hope everybody had a great weekend. So much going on all across the world uh, and especially uh, here in the United States. I am in the swamp, not of the swamp, right here in Washington, D.C. And uh, great to be with you again. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to clue in on all these great interviews, these great segments. We've got a couple of interviews uh, later today. And then we'll get our final thoughts, which have to do with Hungary and Viktor Orban and the narrative machine, which is what we're going to talk about now a little bit. But again, please visit ProAmericaReport.com. If you go to that website, you can sign up for the daily email, the wink, what you need to know. And you also can, uh, any comments, go right through the contact thing, goes right to my phone. You can get in touch with me. We love to hear from folks. All right. Over the weekend, you may have seen the extraordinary return of Donald Trump. If you watched his rally in uh, Arizona you saw vintage Trump. I mean, he was in full form, uh, the full Trumpian form. It was flowing. It was lively. It was energetic. And frankly, I watched the whole thing. And I can tell you, if that's Trump, it's taken five months, maybe since the uh, end of his term. If that's Trump, what we saw over the weekend, he's running for uh, 2024. He's running for president. Although I was very pleased that he didn't talk about that. He said, basically, we got to worry about right now. We got to worry about right now. We don't worry about 2022 or 2024. People need to be focused on right now. And in particular, getting our arms around election integrity. And so, but it was extraordinary. If you haven't seen it, feel free to go on to uh, uh, any of the social media and find some of those clips. He was in, uh, in great form. Okay, what's today's wink? What you need to know. What is today's wink? Well, it has to do with that rally. It has to do with uh, what we saw in the last six months. And it's very important because I haven't heard anybody explain this as as cleanly, as clearly as I'm going to do it for you, because I've been watching this and it's sort of crystallized. And it was very helpful to have President Trump turn this weekend uh, the sort of context of everything. So remember the November elections, 2020, there was something wrong, right? Everybody, everybody can see there's something wrong. Was it just the COVID pandemic? Was it the, uh, the, the numerous places where they changed the rules? What was it? Was it the fact that more Republicans who are running for House and Senate outperformed the supposed polls? Trump outperformed the supposed polls? Remember, we just saw a week or 10 days ago, that the pollsters, you know, the Amer- the Association of, of Public Opinion Researchers, which is the Association of Pollsters, they did a study of 2020, and they said, eh, we don't know why. We can't figure out why we were wrong. Worst they've ever been in 40 years. Worst that they've been in 40 years. So everything in November seemed off. And when people started asking, uh, what's going on here? You remember what happened? Everybody was savaged. The media said, what are you doing? You're not allowed to question the election. This is outrageous. This is terrible. No matter that four years earlier, Hillary had been protesting and and holding forth and all. Didn't matter to anybody. All that mattered was that they were pressuring everyone to stop. Remember that? And of course, President Trump was still in office and there was lots of people saying, what is he going to do about it? How's it going to go? Amazing media onslaught. And then January 6th. And at the time, I remember quickly saying to you all and talking about it over and over, the narrative machine is going into overdrive because they want to talk about January 6th, not November 3rd. And they've effectively said, we'll never go back to November 3rd. And if you even bring up November 3rd, we're going to call you one of the insurrectionists. And so they started. Remember, it was first it was a violent insurrection that was uh, homicidal, that caused killing. And then slowly realized, well, there wasn't any killing except for the woman shot by a cop, but there wasn't an officer killed. There wasn't any of that. 
There wasn't even really violence except for a, a couple of people. And a lot of it looked like it was uh, back and forth. But whatever it was, the narrative started, you thought, to fall apart. But it didn't, right? The narrative machine went into overdrive. The narrative machine, big tech, silenced a lot of the speakers on one side, silenced Trump, silenced Flynn, silenced Powell, silenced Rudy, silenced Ali Alexander, silenced all the people that were articulate on one side, and then they started to steer. You weren't allowed to talk about the election in certain ways, right? You remember that? I mean, this was going on. The media, the mainstream, big, big tech did that. Big media is going like crazy. They're brainwashing us, you know? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And that happened all the time, CNN especially. And then big government dragging people out of their homes, FBI agents for people that were inside the Capitol or whatever, showing, putting them in jail and then saying out loud, former prosecutors in the office that are prosecuting saying, you know, we got to put these people in. We know they're in bad situations. We know they never committed crimes before. We know they're not going to do very well in prison. We got to keep them there. They deserve it. That's what they said. The narrative machine in overdrive over the weekend, Donald Trump pivoted us back at least in terms of the MAGA movement, conservatives, and more and more Americans who are looking up and saying, this president seems over his head, Biden. And so therefore, they're looking back. And here's what President Trump did. He pivoted from all the nonsense. And he said, the big lie is that November 2020 was a free and fair election. The big lie is that there was no cheating. Because what happened over the course of the last six or seven months was the media put on to January 6th this notion that the big lie is anyone who asks questions about the election. You, you must be a liar if you ask questions about the election. doesn't matter if you're asking questions about voters uh, verification, signature verification, excuse me, signature verification, uh, uh, illegals voting. Anything you ask, you're part of the big lie. That was a trick. Trump turned it around. And he said the big lie is that the election was free and fair and we got to the bottom of it. That's the big lie. And he's pivoting. And more and more Americans understand what's happening. Now, remember two things. One is Trump did this once before. He uh, dramatically did it before. The media was telling Trump, they were calling Trump fake news. They were saying, you're fake news. You're saying things that are lies and it's fake news. And he turned it around and called them fake news. And now they're stuck with it, right? All the media is called fake news. Most people know what that means. That's what he's doing with the big lie. The big lie is that there was a free and fair election that we were able to audit, that we were able to confirm, that we can all feel good about. That's the big lie. And now that Trump has pivoted it back to that, you're going to see a lot more energy. I was telling somebody on the phone this morning, it's not so much that uh, suddenly you're going to see um, uh, more grassroots people excited. They were already excited. They're already saying what really happened. What you're going to see is people that understand in office or running for office that the only way to be aligned with the Trump movement and what Trump said is to join the fight. Because what we, I, I, whether we will ever get to the bottom of what happened in the election in 2020, I don't know. You know, years later, they got to the bottom of the 1960 election with Kennedy and, and Nixon, where it looks like where they stole, you know, Kennedy got votes up in the Cook County that weren't there. Or years later, they had testimony from somebody in the Senate race where Lyndon Johnson stole, uh, uh, had extra ballots. They had actually a photograph of the famous ballot box, I think. Whether we ever get to the bottom of what really happened, I'm not sure. But what we have to ignite is a commitment among grassroots and among regular folks and among the elected officials and candidates to get to the bottom of the election. We have to have that. Let me see what's going on. We have to have that. If we don't have that, and by that I mean we have to have those 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 people lead in their home jurisdictions to protect the vote, 
And what Donald Trump said on Saturday was the big lie is that there was a free and fair election that we got to the bottom of. And what we have to do, he said, was don't wait for 2022. Don't wait for 2024. Right now, get to the bottom of it. Doesn't matter if you're in Maricopa County or Georgia or Michigan or Wisconsin, where things seem to be really squirrely and could turn the election, whatever your county in. If you're in a small county in Pennsylvania, if you're in a small county in Missouri, if you're in a small county in Texas, go ahead and audit the results. Find out what the problems are so that they can be fixed long before the 2022 election. What happened over the weekend, the pivot from taking the beating of January 6th and 2020 to they're the ones that are doing the big lie, that pivot is transformational. That pivot is going to give people the space to do the right thing to protect the elections going forward. That's what you need to know. What you need to know is that the pivot to that is going to change things because most states, there's only a few that don't have uh, uh, legislative sessions every single spring. Texas is one of them, but the, uh, the uh, governor has already called a special session. But all those other states are going to have legislative sessions. They got to get to the bottom. Again, they got to get to how to fix it. If you can't tell why it was not able to be audited, which what it looks like it happened in certain places, we won't even know what the machines were. They're gone. They're they're stripped. They're uh, they're wiped clean. But we can get to the future and make sure that the future is to check these systems and make sure the elections protected. That's what you need to know. That's the Daily Wink, and it's because Donald Trump just over the weekend got back in his saddle, as energetic as I've seen him, and decided. We're going to put, we're going to lay bare the big lie. He did that again. And as of today, seeing him over the weekend, he's running for 2024. But because he's going to make sure between now and just six or eight months from now that we get to the bottom of the big lie. It's pretty amazing. Big day. Mark it down. The narrative machine taken on by one of the greatest communicators we've ever seen in modern America. So that's what you need to know. Go to ProAmericaReport.com to clue in on all this. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We are next going to talk with uh, Pastor Walter Hoy. And uh, he is a man who has uh, done many things in his life. He's uh, he's the founder and president of Issues for Life Foundation. He's been active in the California Civil Rights Foundation. Um, he's also uh, been uh, on the National Black Pro-Life Coalition. He's an ordained minister, too. And he and his wife, Lori, are very uh, well-known in the pro-life movement, especially with African-Americans. I was interested, uh, Pastor. I saw an interview you did uh, with the San Francisco Archdiocese about when you were arrested, but also your friendship with the Archbishop Cordelione, uh, which is all, all all interesting. So first of all, welcome, Pastor Walter Hoy. How are you today? I'm doing fine, and I know Phyllis personally, so I do agree with you. And she was a, a wonderful a woman to work with. Yeah, I knew that you knew her. Yeah, I think we've had I've had you on the show before. We talked a little bit about it. Yeah, she's uh, she was amazing and she appreciated your work. All right. So before we get to um, to the um, uh, the real meat of things, I saw in one of your things that you were a, ch- a chaplain to the Golden State Warriors. What's that like? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yes, I am one of two. And we get to meet with the players before the game. And while uh-huh. uh, we meet with them privately, we have our own room, the door is closed, players from both teams come in, 
And we have about 20 minutes before every game we sit down with the players. In addition to that, we don't talk too much about the game, although sometimes I am tempted to say, hey, what were you doing out there on the floor? <laughs> but right. at, the, at the same time, we get right to the Word of God. We literally have Bible study right there, and most of our time is spent talking with them about their personal lives. We get into that. So mm. that's pretty much what we do as chaplains. Yeah. Well, that's really something that's great to hear. And as I, you know, I have to tell people, uh, when you meet some of the famous people in the world, it turns out they put their pants on one leg at a time and they have the same kind of issues and, and all. And, and it's sort of some, in some ways it's encouraging. Sometimes people wish that they could keep some people up on a pedestal. All right. We're talking with Pastor Walter Hoy. Uh, Pastor, um, the news that the Mississippi, uh, Attorney General, they have a case before the Supreme Court, um, that could lead, it'll be in the fall, it'll be argued, could lead to the Supreme court reversing or looking at Roe v. Wade, the court, the, the decisions, Roe v. Wade, uh, Doe v. Bolton, that, that made abortion a legal right, uh, a particular legal right. Um, that probably struck you as important. On the other hand, a lot of what you're doing is trying to change people's hearts and minds on the issue. Uh, and so, I don't know, I wondered what your reaction was. Well, I do agree with you. I think it is important. I think that effort should be spent trying to uh, secure that confirm that yeah. I, I get that uh but right. particularly if you're trying to reach the hearts and minds of my community that, that's not the way to do it so we focus on other strategies that are proven to be highly effective and so we're happy to be involved in that type of work for the pro-life movement and that uh, yeah and that and that's what i want to the first so the first ever national men's march to end abortion so first of all how can it be that that's just happening now i mean why wasn't there a men's march before now it surprises me you know, I was shocked. I just sort of assumed, but it was literally the very first national. It's not that men haven't marched anywhere I see. at all. I mean, okay. I, I have my march every January, and we, we, we've been doing it for 15 years now. But this was a national men's march, and men from all over the country came to Washington, D.C., and we marched. Huh. Is it so tell me about that and, and tell me why you think that's important, the, the men's part of it's important. I talked a little bit about, about this uh, on my show on Friday when I was talking about the Mississippi case. And, you know, I knew I'd be talking to you. Um, but, you know, there's a part of this where if you're going to bring people back and you're going to, you know, argue that the unborn baby is a baby, a life, you've got to then pull in the fathers and men to understand how important it is. Talk about why that's something you've uh, been, you know, focusing on, how important that is. Oh, my goodness. If we're going to get right down to it, there are two people involved in the birth of any human being. There is mm -hmm. a father and there is a mother. And oh, my goodness, if you embrace the biblical model, then you understand what the responsibilities of a man is. And then if you can go even deeper than that, when I'm talking to the pastors and I bring up to them that we have a late term abortion in Exodus chapter one. Well, in Exodus chapter one, it's pretty clear what size Pharaoh is on. No problem. He wanted to kill all the firstborn baby boys. But it's clear what side the midwives are on. And it's clear what side God was on. It's clear who God blessed. And so if we were to treat the women like God treat women as men, if we were to marry them, put a ring on their finger, provide for them, protect them, oh my goodness, we might be able to bring abortion as we know it today to an end. 
Yeah, we're talking with Walter Hoy, um, and we're talking. At one, by the way, he has a book out a few years ago now, but it's called Leadership from the Inside Out, uh, and you can find that anywhere books are sold. And actually, I think it was Alveda King or somebody was writing about uh, uh, about you. I think in the in the uh, in the in the past, but um, so yeah, there it is, uh, Black and Pro Life in America. Um, but so. How do you reach African-Americans on this issue? And is there any reason to think it's like when people say to me, um, oh, you know, that community thinks that I say uh, you can't really talk for the whole community. Right. There's plenty of in this case, plenty of black churches where I, I would say there's lots and lots. I meet them pro-life uh, African-Americans. But is the rest of the community? Are they are they buffeted by the politics that make it so? Hey, if you're a Democrat and you and you supported Obama, well, you got to be pro-abortion. No, no, no. I mean, part of what you're saying is true, but this is the real problem. You have to understand why somebody is saying no. And for the most part, the larger pro-life movement doesn't really understand why they're being rejected. They don't understand why they're being no. At the Issues for Life Foundation, we focus entirely on black leadership. Uh, We're talking about pastors. We're talking about politicians. It just doesn't matter, men or women, for for that matter. But we understand the four reasons why black leadership says no. And when you understand why somebody is saying no, now you can put together the very best strategy to get them to say yes, to get your point across. And so we use strategies that are, are probably unique to our organization. So and 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 how like um, one thing we've seen in the last again, we're talking with Walter Hoy and, and, and uh, Pastor Hoy in the last 25 years, we've seen an uptick in young people who are saying, um, hey, I can see the science, whether it's 3D ultrasounds or other things. I'm not. And, and, you know, younger people are more pro-life than the generation before. Are you seeing uh, the African-American community see the problem and and embrace uh, the life position? I am. I'm seeing a younger generation be more pro-life than the previous generation. But that only goes back so far. At one point in the 60s, we all knew what Margaret Sanger was about. We all knew what Planned Parenthood. As a matter of fact, Cecil Moore, president of the 1965 chapter of probably the most important NAACP chapter in the nation, said this, and I quote, Planned Parenthood's plan is replete with everything the Negro needs to commit race suicide. So we already knew. We knew exactly what Planned Parenthood was about. We knew exactly what they were trying to do. There was no question about that, but we've sort of fallen away from the mark. And today I am seeing us sort of rising up and coming back to that point. But again, you've got to really understand why somebody's telling you no, and then you've got to work with strategies that are designed to win, not necessarily incremental strategies, but strategies that are basically designed to win the war. We're talking again, Pastor Walter Hoy, he and his wife, Lori, are great leaders on the pro-life movement, in particular with African-Americans, uh, and his book, Black and Pro-Life in America, is another book uh, that he's written. And um, uh, and the... Um, Pastor Hoy, um, how how does it fit together? We are where we are. Um, we are where we are in the world, and um, and uh, in the sense that you can't go back and wish there wasn't divorce, right? You can't go back and wish there was two family households. A lot of people just are where they are. So, how do you, in this situation, reinvigorate uh, men and fatherhood? You know, in the in the in this at the same time, you're talking about care about life. You got to care about and kind of reinvent fatherhood for a lot of people, right? 
Well, let me tell you, we have to we have a program that's designed to actually reach the men. It, it's called the modern right. day version of the underground railroad. And oh my goodness, huh. you take pastor and wife, and if his pastor can't come, as his wife can't come, pastor can't come. And we hold them for four <laughs> days in a secret location. And in that location, oh my goodness, we literally move pastor from A to B. So by Friday, when he's going home, he's going home preaching about it. He's going home, he's going to start talking about it in this Sunday school class. He's going to put together programs that reach the youth. He's going to start going home and minister in his own particular congregation, and that's by way of our Underground Railroad. Yeah. Well, I sure encourage you, Walter Hoy, and I'm going to put it up on uh, social media. Pastor Walter Hoy, he is um, uh, extraordinary treasure. I'm getting some feedback. I think uh, uh, we better run. I'm out of time. Uh, thank you for your time, sir. And we will, um, again, I'll put it up on social media and track. It's important. Uh, his voice, uh, Pastor Hoy, uh, has been uh, really valuable. So we'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's been too long. Our old friend, Gregory Wrightstone, his website is inconvenientfacts.xyz. His book is called Inconvenient Facts, The Science That Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know. And uh, he is back with us on the program. How are you, Gregory? Oh, really good, Ed. Good to be back. It has been a long time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm currently, I, I took a new uh, position as executive director of the CO2 Coalition in Arlington, Virginia. So, I'm, I'm leading this group of scientists, 70 of the top scientists in the world that uh, view climate change the way you and I do. Wow, that's very good. Well, that's smart because we're talking with Gregory Wrightstone. He's a geologist. Uh, I think it was close to 40 years experience uh, research and all sorts of things. And he's uh, he has been writing on this subject of, of and poking a hole through a lot of the um, lies on this. So I, and I got you caught my eye or somebody caught my eye um, <laughs> late last week after Bezos went to the moon. I didn't go to the moon, went to space and then gave away a bunch of money because he was concerned about the economy, not the economy, the environment made some he got off the he got off the rocket ship and his first thing was like oh it was so beautiful to see how small we are and how we're stewards or whatever it was tell me how much carbon he had to burn to get up there well i don't know it's probably more than most small african nations consume in every <laughs> minute a year i could tell you that. He, you know we get these billionaires he and zuckerberg and the rest they go to these conferences and we have billionaires lecturing millionaires about how we should control the lives <laughs> of the poor people in africa you know, and, and, and while they're burning, uh, you know, he goes up on a rocket and he that one rocket. I don't know what the details were, but it was a giant amount of carbon dioxide. Now, I'm OK with a large carbon footprint, as you know, because uh, I right. love carbon dioxide. I mean, I got a bumper sticker on the back of my t car that says I I love uh, carbon dioxide. And we went to CPAC <laughs> uh, CO2 coalition last week. Uh, I gave away 50. Uh -huh. I love CO2 t-shirts. They went, they, they, they went like hotcakes. Uh, huh. And it was, I got to tell you, right next to us was the young conservatives for climate dividends. And they're very, very well funded. They had a, a double or tri triple side booth, a size booth. They had all these uh, paid interns manning it, all of them young tattooed and with man buns. And I'm not opposed to man buns and tattoos, but... 
they did not, not, not a one of them were a scientist. We went to our booth, and we're all scientists promoting the, the true science and the true facts of what's actually happening about climate change. In fact, is it, there is no climate crisis. There is no climate emergency. And we're, we're fighting back hard against that. Uh, when you were talking with Gregory Wrightstone, and by the way, his uh, his now the executive director at the uh, at the CO two coalition, yes, CO two coalition dot org. I'm looking at the website. But back to this for a second. Who were those people? Conserv- what were they conservatives for? Uh, for climate dividend, meaning what? Taxing? Ta- they were for yeah. the taxes. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They call oh. it a, a conservative solution. And we've got a bunch of the GOP now in this what they're calling themselves the climate caucus because they've got uh, uh, pollster Frank Lutz. Uh, who is my, my opinion of him has plummeted over the last few months, but uh, he's 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 promoting. Um, he says, "Oh, the Republicans need to do something on climate change," and that's what he's saying. We got to we've got to be seen as as they're doing something if they want to get elected. That's his that's his strong advice. And so we've got this large climate caucus of, of GOP people that are they're on board with a climate tax. They're, they're, they're on board with spending hundreds of billions of dollars to solve a non-existent problem. Uh, you know, they're, they're saying, well, we can't spend $3 trillion, Let's just spend $800 billion. Well, no, I, I say don't spend one penny. It's all wasted money. And the GOP angers me more than what the Democrats do. Well, and again, we're talking with Gregory Wrightstone. His book, again, is called Inconvenient Truth, and it's, uh, the important part of it is the subtitle, which is The Science That Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know, because the science is what uh, drives this. Um, Gregory is the um, – and meanwhile, we've got – you know, the news came out late last week again that uh, it may be that America, that uh, Joe Biden is shutting down pipelines and not allowing fracking, but I think we expe- exported more coal to China – than we ever have, uh, or than we have in about five years, more than Obama did. And of course, when you send it to China, they just burn it. I mean, they're not they're not looking at it. They're not uh, making a, a you know a, a dark uh, wall of coal. They're burning it, and it goes in the environment. Right, and and they're boy, they're doubling down on their coal fired electricity production. Just this week, the IEA uh, released a report showing uh, coal plants that are in operation and being constructed. China has. More coal-fired electricity plants, either under construction or in plans, than what the entire uh, United States has entirely that are operating today. So they're planning to build more than what we have, and that's on top of already them uh, outnumbering us with, with the lar- largest amount of coal-fired electricity production in the world. And so they get a pass from this Paris Climate Accord. China gets a pass for for decades, uh, and they don't have to do anything. And who's going to remember in the year 2050 what they're supposed to do? Uh, of course, we'll all be dead uh, by then, according to AOC, so I guess it won't matter. <laughs> right. Right. Now, back to this for a second. Biden said he was coming back in to go to the Paris uh, climate. He's going to re-sign the Paris climate agreement. Did he? Was he able to do that, or, or does he have to go to Congress? What's the story? I don't think Obama went to Congress, right? So when Trump got out, he just said, I'm out. But has Biden actually yeah. got us back in yet? He, to- he said he was going to. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's official yet. There's a process that you have to go through. In oh, theory, we have to play many, pay many billions of dollars into this climate fund that will, that will then pay uh, poor people in Africa and in India, everybody that's threatened with climate change, and uh, uh, the Maldives, for example. Well, here's a good story that you may not have yeah. heard. So the UN 
of course, they, they had a report in 2005 that there would be 25 million climate refugees by 2010. Of course, that came and went. And I looked at the population of these most at-risk islands. Well, heck, the populations had, had almost doubled. People were flocking to those islands, not fleeing from them. And one of those islands was, were the Maldives that are in the Indian Ocean. And, and I looked right. here last week. There are 17 resort complex hotels and facilities <laughs> being constructed right. in the Maldives. One of these most at-risk uh, islands are being submerged. <laughs> well, these equity companies are investing hundreds of millions of dollars, and insurance companies are insuring. Insurance companies, I don't have to tell you or your listeners, insurance companies yeah. avoid risk like the plague. And there's no right. way, if they thought there was a risk of the Maldives, being underwater in a few years, that they would insure those things, or that the equity companies would fund them. They're voting with their with their pocketbooks and saying this is just nuts. Is the is do you see though? It feels like the fever of the climate change crowd broke. That may not mean that they're not changing, using the pressure to change policies that are bad for America, but they're not talking about it as much. Am I missing that? Or is it sort of, I know that, I know that CNN or somebody leaked or maybe Project Veritas had a leak that said CNN, everybody said, we got to start to ramp up the language, you know, make it life threatening to climate change. It doesn't feel like the language it feels like it's kind of quiet. Is that because they're doing all this stuff in the, out of the white house? Oh boy. I, I, I don't get that sense at all. Ed. I'm, I, I maybe I'm pretty I'm too tight too close to it, but but I see just uh, the craziness. I think has ramped up completely, and, and there's a lot of this infrastructure bill that's, that's dedicated. Oh, tell to, me, but yeah, tell me what's in there. Yeah, change. Yeah, and there's, I mean it's it's for uh, there, there's talk of of uh, nationalizing the electricity grid, which would be horrific. Uh, there's talk, you know, they want to expand. Uh, recharging stations along along the major highways, uh, they're, they're just a, and complete uh, force people to to uh, winterize their homes and 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 help back right. you know do, redo your home to keep for for air conditioning and heating, uh, and of course they want to impose no uh, internal combustion engines after a certain date, and these electric hmm. vehicles are just they don't. They you, they may advertise 180 mile range or 200 mile range, but if you're in, if you're in Alabama in 98 degree weather, you need to run that air conditioning. Or if you're in Minnesota in the dead of winter, you have to have that heater on, which just cuts your the range of these EV these electric right. vehicles almost in half. Imagine if you get wow. stuck in a, in a snowstorm uh, across I 80 in Minnesota. Uh, in an, in, okay. in a regular, if you're in your SUV, you can just idle it for a while. But these uh, these electric vehicles will stop. Or just imagine there's a hurricane bearing down on the Keys, and everybody has to get out. Would be tens of thousands of people get climbing in their electric vehicles with their air conditioning <laughs> on, snaking up Highway A One A at about ten miles an hour. I mean, they won't even make it to Marathon Key before they <laughs> they need to recharge. Think about that. There's no. Uh, it's it's crazy. One of the great things about Gregory Wrightstone is he has a way. You should be a fiction writer too. I mean, you're many talents. He, when you see him speak, I've had him speak at our Eagle Councils and things, and he 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 just very very entertaining. Like he just did there, I, I can picture all of that happening again. It's at inconvenientfacts.xyz is his website. Inconvenient Facts is the book that he put out. He's also now the executive director of the CO2 Coalition, which is co2coalition.org. Lots of resources there. Uh, thank you, Gregory. It's always good to have you back. You remind me why I like having you on the show. I'll have you back again soon. 
You bet. And Candace Owens loves my oh. book, by the way. Oh, that's good. That's Thank another you. good. Uh, that's you. another very good. All right. Gregory Wrightstone, everybody. Again, I'll put up on social media all of his info. You can track down his book as well as uh, his work over at the CO2 Coalition. One of the good guys, as he mentioned, he's a scientist, comes at this uh, whole debate from the standpoint of a guy that you know can picture like a scientist, a geologist going, huh? Let me figure that out. And when he figured it out, he was like, wait, they're selling us uh, uh, a bill of goods. So we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. I have always believed and continue to believe that America is the greatest nation on the face of the globe. There's a reason everyone else wants to move here. American citizenship is one of the most valuable possessions anyone can have. Yet if you want to know how to implement real election integrity laws, Americans should look to the most unlikely of places. A stolen election in Mexico woke the people up to the need for change. In 1988, a leftist presidential candidate named Cuauhtémoc Cárdenas lost out amidst massive voter fraud. Even the president who presided over the election later admitted that Cárdenas lost because of fraud. Rather than just bemoaning the outcome, the people of Mexico got to work. By 1991, they had passed strict laws mandating in-person voter registration and photo IDs with biometric information to vote. According to the talking points of American leftists, these reforms would be considered voter suppression. In the theory of the left, voter turnout should plummet because of all the Mexicans that the left thinks are too lazy or incompetent to obtain a voter ID. However, the exact opposite happened. Voter turnout rates went through the roof after Mexico secured their elections. According to a study conducted by the Crime Prevention Research Center, in the three presidential elections following the 1991 reforms, an average of 68% of the eligible citizens voted, compared with only 59% in the three elections prior to the rule changes. The CPRC study positively shreds any credibility leftists have on the issue of election integrity. By definition, voter suppression requires that fewer people be able to vote. How can the left explain away the fact that so-called voter suppression laws resulted in a net increase of 15% turnout? The left may have no answer for this, but conservatives certainly do. When people believe that elections are rigged, they are more likely to stay home. Why bother to vote if your vote doesn't matter? However, when people have faith in the electoral system, they are more likely to be part of the process. If Democrats truly want to increase turnout in minority communities, Stop telling people that they are being suppressed and start securing elections like Mexico did. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, welcome, Ed Martin here. Final thoughts of the Pro-America Report. 
Final thoughts. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And uh, especially, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. If you want to follow up on any of these, you can email me directly there. You can sign up for the daily email, the daily email, what you need to know, the daily wink. goes out 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. That's 8 a.m. East Coast, uh, 5 a.m. Pacific time. So let's close it out. Final thoughts today. I have been telling you all about the narrative machine for months probably right since around January 6th, when I saw what I thought was the maybe the ultimate pivot away from the 2020 election to the narrative to the January uh, 6th. And the narrative machine wanted desperately to enforce that narrative. Now, remember, the pieces of the narrative machine, as I tell you every time, it's big tech, big media, and big government. Now, sometimes some of you all, I got, I remember getting an email from one of the, uh, one of you all that said, Hey, what about big academia? Well, they're probably in there, right? But you take big tech, big media and big government with big tech. They're using algorithms. They're using neuroscience to, to change our brains and they're shutting down voices. You can see some of the voices they're shutting down. You know, you can see after, after January 6th, President Trump off. General Flynn, off. Sidney Powell, off. Shutting down voices on big tech. But forget about what they're shutting down. Think about the ones you can't even see, the voices you can't even see come up. And more importantly, what they're doing with neuroscience. Big media, big tech, that is big media. They're just plain brainwashing. One after another, they're bringing out people. They're brainwashing us. And then big government, in the case of January 6th, what are they doing? Well, they're not investigating the 2020 election. They're not investigating election integrity issues. They're just going, they're not investigating Antifa. They're not investigating uh, Nancy Pelosi's corruption. They're just going after people that might have trespassed. Some maybe broke a window, but most of them trespassed. They're going after them one after another, locking them up, letting them rot in jails in D.C. That's the narrative machine. And as we talked about at the beginning of, of the uh, program today, the Pro-America Report, in my opening, the What You Need to Know, the big lie was actually the election in 2020 and the fact that we have never been able to get back to looking at what happened. That's the big lie. President Trump made that pivot. I want to point out to you how this is going on all over the world. And as you know, some of you that pay attention closely, I'm a big fan of uh, of some of the nations in Europe that are trying to do the right thing on key issues. I, my friend, as you heard me talk about, Dominic Tarzinski, a member of the European Parliament from Poland. He and I go back a few years. I've been to Poland to visit him. Poland is doing extraordinary things in their community. And Hungary. Now, for many years, I've read about Hungary because of Cardinal Mincenti, the famous uh, battler against the Soviet communists who was from Hungary and, uh, and an appreciation a lot of Americans had of him. But in the recent years, I've been watching and I have friends now from Hungary, including uh, the former ambassador to the United States, uh, Dr. Laszlo Zabo, who came and spoke at one of our Eagle events. He talked about, in fact, I have it right in front of me. He talked about Hungary's policies, family policies in action. And I went to attend lectures here uh, in the swamp of uh, a family minister Kataline Novak, and she talked about these policies. This is what this is what Hungary's doing. They're saying for their people, we're going to have policies that are pro-family. Anyway, uh, what's happening in Europe right now is Viktor Orban, the prime minister of that nation of Hungary, has said that they're going to have policies that protect young people. I think 16 and under. And they said, we're not going to allow 16 and under to be exposed to the LGBTQ agenda and the transgender agenda, all that stuff. And what happened? So now they've got a problem in Hungary because he's in Europe and they're a member of the EU. 
So what happens? Well, in this case, if you go and look at the newspapers and you look at uh, the the, uh, big tech out of Europe, you'll find that all that's covered is the the people who are complaining about Orban and Hungary and saying that something that they're doing for their own people is somehow wrong. One after another, Politico EU, Euractive.com, all these websites and so-called journalists are saying, oh, Hungary is, you know, this and that, and we think it's offensive and all the rest. No coverage of what the Hungarian people and the Hungarian government are doing for themselves, for themselves, for them first. But here's where it gets rich. In Europe now, you would think, well, Hungary's a sovereign nation. If they're going to have rules for their country, well, what are you going to do? That's their country. No, no. The European Union is using two things. They're using the European Union courts and they're using money from the European Union that is supposed to go to each of the countries to take care of their problems and issues. I don't know if it's only COVID money, but it's money that's supposed to be be given for uh, for the people of that country. And they're going back and they're taking that and they're saying to Hungary, we're going to prosecute you in the European court. How does a European court have sovereignty over the people of Hungary. It shouldn't. It doesn't. And yet that's what they're doing. And then they're holding back money. I think it's from Norway, somehow Norway. And they're putting out reports on the law. And they're saying the European Union in Brussels, made up of all these uh, technocrats and bureaucrats and other crats, mostly rats, it looks like, are going to tell Hungary what their policies are. My point here is, if you read the paper in America, you know what you hear? You hear all of the narrative machine on what's going on, so much so that when I woke up on Sunday morning on Politico.com, the American site, the headlines were that uh, the people took to the streets of Hungary to protest, of Budapest, to protest Orban. You look closely, a few hundred people. And one of the people that they interviewed at length, he said, I came from out of the country. I live in another part of the country, the world of Europe, and I don't plan on living in Budapest, but I came here to organize. That's called just paying to get the narrative you want. It's happening all over the world. It's one of the reasons why the danger of the sovereignty uh, limitations, uh, intrusions on sovereignty of these world organizations is so problematic, especially for countries that have to deal with other nations because of their size. You know, Hungary and Poland are not as, as big as other economies and they've got to deal with it. So you put them in a position where guess what? You can pressure them. And that's what the narrative machine is meant to do. Stay strong, Prime Minister Orban and the people of Hungary and all over the world, the people that are standing up for their sovereignty to make sure that their people are getting what they want. (laughs) They're citizens first. That's your final thoughts. Hey, listen, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for uh, watching and listening to the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com. Thank you to our great producer, Noah, our uh, booker, Joanna, and thank you. We'll be back again tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.